The passage for today comes from 1 King chapters five, chapter 5. Um, now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set, for you know that there is no, there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I've heard the message that you have sent to me. I'm ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct. And I will have them broken up there, and you shall receive it. And you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired, while Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men, and he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the draft. Solomon also had 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters in the hill country, besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work, who had charge of the people who carried on the work. At the king's command, they queried out great costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gabal did the cutting and prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. How y'all doing? Good. Um, glad to be back. I was sick last week because I didn't wash my hands. Um, enough, obviously. Um, after making fun of y'all not washing your hands, obviously somewhere along the way, I didn't wash mine. And, um, you know, I, and 
I'm just glad to be here, and I'm in okay spirits. I never thought that the psalm about God delivering you from the pit. <laughs> Y'all didn't get that joke. Okay, you're not into college football. Um, would apply to, okay. But I'm ready to preach this morning because God has delivered my soul from the pit. Everybody else lost too. Misery loves some company, let me tell you. I felt so much better. Um, but this is about God's word today. Um, and uh, we can continue. We're going to continue in the book of Kings. And let me let you know, I want to thank Michael Whittem for preaching for us last week. Um, and just so you know, we have a number of teaching elders in our church. We have three right now that go to Christ Central who could get up here and preach and do the Lord's Supper and all that kind of stuff. And I want to apologize to the baptism people um, who lined up baptism, have friends in town. I wanted you to know Charles and Drew were out of town. Uh, uh, Pastor uh, Henry, Tom Henry, he was out of town. And um, so we just didn't have anybody to preach. So at like five o'clock on Saturday afternoon, Michael Whittle agreed to do it. So I praise God for him stepping in at the very last minute to preach. So I told our interns, like we used to tell them in old school, have a sermon in your pocket, right? <laughs> like have one, you be ready to go. Anything could happen. Um, but glad to be back. Thank you for your prayers. Um, as we continue in our journey through the book of 1 Kings, King Solomon has used his God-given wisdom, as we've seen through the first four chapters, to turn Israel into a prosperous nation. And it is so good, the Bible says, this nation, that the Bible, that, that, that the other nations take notice and send delegations in to meet with Solomon and to gain from his wisdom. And it's one thing to be wise enough to build a kingdom that reflects God's glory and greatness, but another to do what the next three chapters will lead us through and describe, building a house for the Almighty God. When Solomon's father, King David, built a city and palace for himself, he thought it only fitting, the scripture says, that he honor and glorify God by building a house for God to dwell permanently instead of in a tent with his people. But as we will explore later, God told him, okay, David, but as long as you understand that I don't need housing like a human being, but for my people, I'll do it. And by the way, David, you might have the heart and vision to build a house of God, but not you, but your son, who we know is Solomon, will be the one to actually lead the construction of it. This chapter 5 picks up on that promise and plan to have a house, a temple of worship built for God. But before we minimalize what it means that God be a in a temple or in a house, I want you to know that the concept of the temple of God throughout the Bible has always been more than about a constructed building, more than bricks and mortar. Temples also used to describe the people and the lives and actions that God lives in and through. It also describes the church, the household of God. And of course, Jesus is self-described as the temple in which the fullness of God dwelled in flesh. A temple, 
God's house, therefore, refers to people and places and mechanisms by which and through God, through which God shows up and visits us with his glory and his greatness. And still today, God is calling people like you and me to be contractors, if you will. To be a part of contracting, of, of building and being people in places of God's greatness and glory where God is at work. But you and I as humans are not the best contractors. Why would God hire us to build a house for him, to be a place built for his greatness and glory? Because by nature, we are contract breakers, right? We are fallen and limited and, and broken people, right? So, so what will it take to build and be built into the people and place and things and actions great and glorious enough for God to put his name there in this age and time in which we live? To do and be those things. There are a few things I, I want us to look at and see and accept from Scripture today. First, we see it's God's will to be great and glorious in our world and lives. Secondly, it's God's work to be great and glorious in our world and lives. And finally, it's by God's King that great and glorious things will be done in our world and lives. God's will, God's work, God's king. So the Bible tells us that Solomon decides it's time to build God a house. And that he asks for and seeks all the resources and labor and diplomatic relations to, to get it done. And you have to ask yourself as you read this, what gave Solomon the right what gave him the vision? What gave him the permission, the audacity, the desire, the will, the drive, the assumption to build a house great and glorious enough for God? One major job of any general contractor is to get permits, right? From the city, which is often the, the ruling entity and governments to build where and what and how they want to, right? A, a permit, a permission, a, a yes, do it, a, a yes here, a yes now, yes, okay, yes, you can do it this way in this neighborhood at this time in this space. Look at the reason he gives King Hiram for having confidence and motivation to build this house for God and then ask for his help. Verse 2. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the warfare in which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to my father, your son whom I set on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. Now therefore command the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants rejoin your servants, and, and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set, for you know that there's no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. It is the testimony, right? 
the original contract, right? The, the will of God made plain and obvious, written and recorded and remembered and passed down from generation to generation. It was already permitted by God. Solomon just had to pull the permit, right? He had to pull it up. He had to just work it out. Solomon acted because God clearly said that he wanted and commissioned Solomon as the son of David to do and be great and glorious in the world. And in this particular case, by having Solomon build him a house. But not only by what is written, but according to the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God. So God did tell Solomon's father, King David, that he would not build the house of God because he was at war, right? War all around him. God had, had not given or allowed David to ever be a king at rest. Yes, he wrote most of the Psalms and as the Bible says, had a heart for God, but still yet he was always conquering and defending and securing the land and shoring up the diplomatic relationships and was still even to the end of his life struggling with internal and external political and family strife. But making those things, right, those issues go away enough for King David to build God a house was not something God allowed to happen. Did you hear? That God allowed to happen. The Bible is clear in these first verses that the peace and stuff necessary for Solomon that David didn't have was God's to give. Solomon said, God has given me peace. Now I can build the house. It is God's to give and not give. So Solomon could only build God's house when God decided that the time, and he decided under Solomon that the time and peace and political calmness and people and situation was right to then follow through with what God let them know he already wanted. What's stopping people? regular people like you and me, from doing and being the great and glorious that God wants. What is it? When I look at Scripture and I look at this passage, either we have not heard God's clear commission. Some of you don't read the Bible. You don't know. You have no idea what it means to be a believer or, or, or live in this world for God or, or, or Christ. Or, 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 you know, maybe you are not listening or, or maybe you are not his people and, and we are not a part of his written promise or permit, right? Or, or, or how we see or think God is doing great and glorious things is different than what God has actually planned for you to do. It is not that God is not at work in or through you and wants to. It is that God is sovereignly doing his will and not the will you want in your lives. So let me let you know. Here's some good news. That God's revealed in, in Scripture as far as what he permits, and I'm going back to this idea of what God permits in Scripture, right? In, in way of pleasing him and doing and building for his glory in ways that reflect his awesomeness in the world. Let me free you. It is wide open, y'all. God's will and desire in this world is like Charlotte and condominiums, right? 
God permits and gives permission for a lot to go on in and for him. Scripture clearly reveals, and we talked about this a lot from chapter 4 sermon, but wherever there is a spot, wherever and whatever is empty and void of God's greatness and glory in your personal life or in the life of this world, wherever God's people are set down by God, build there, right? Be there. Do and be about God's glory and obedience and greatness right there. It is safe to say that God has contracted that his greatness and glory through his people's obedience and love for him be brought and built into all of our relationships and all of our vocations and all of our recreations and all our creativity and ingenuity, all of our society. We have his permission from his word to obey him and to make and to build a place for his glory and greatness to be on living display, accessible, y'all, to the world and his people. His name should be reachable and callable and sayable and many places in many ways through his work through your lives and this would be the kind of message that would grow a church real fast if i stopped there because it'd just be a prosperity gospel a great pep talk to go and be great for god but we're humans we get ahead of god all the time we're really behind him God is real fast. He's already there, right? In the time continuum thing, God's there. It would just be a prosperity gospel, right? To take hold of your dreams and your destiny. And I need to say that to some of y'all. Some of y'all ain't taking hold of nothing, right? Everything else is taking hold of you, right? You have no clear direction. That's why I said God's scripture is open. There's plenty of permits. You need to pull on one, right? You need to build somewhere. But God wants to deepen our faith beyond that. They have lots of books at Barnes and Noble if you just want a self-help thing, okay? If you want to find your cheese or whatever, they got plenty of that. If you want to be an effective leader, they got plenty of that. But you're here on Sunday. This ain't Barnes & Noble. This ain't Amazon. When we really look at the difference between Solomon and David, it is not that the revealed will of God has changed. He still wants a house built. He still wants greatness and glory right? He still even wants da wanted David to hold that promise and pass it on to Solomon, right? But the sovereign will and desire of God is ultimately in control of all the driving callings and permission God has given. I want you to know that David was a man after God's own heart. God described him that way. He was tuned into doing what God wanted, but the circumstances, many and most beyond his control, did not allow him or put him into a time and place to be great and do the great he saw and wanted to do for the Lord in the way he thought he saw it. He couldn't or wouldn't build the temple, but as God tells him, your son will, because I have not given you peace from war. Did that mean David could not and did not do great things for God? No. In fact, he was the one who received the promise of God's house from God. It is safe to say that David was not allowed by God to enter the season necessary to pluck the fruit from the tree that he was used by God to plant. 
David was made for and given by God to a time to fight and survive for God's greatness and glory, right? And Solomon was to flourish and thrive for God's greatness and glory. To fight and survive, right? To flourish and thrive in God's economy. They both can give him greatness and glory. And it's not a moral issue. It's not God letting it happen. It's a God let, not letting it happen issue. It, it is not a David couldn't do great things because he didn't pray enough or have enough faith or follow enough steps or didn't have the Bible, know the Bible enough thing or the wrong persons were elected to office. Yeah, I'm going there a little bit. For some of you who are just sad on that, or he made God mad, or he missed his blessing, or ability to bless God, or only because he didn't have enough faith. And yes, I'm not going to lie to you. Scripture says very clearly, obedience and disobedience affects our flow in displaying and doing God's glorious work. But in this case, as in many, it was God just not wanting David to be used like that. At that time, in that way, and God let all kind of circumstances shaped the way he wanted to work in David's life, and not building the temple was part of that. Ready? God sovereignly gave peace so that Solomon could build the glorious temple and kingdom. Wow. But God sovereignly gave David war and turmoil and uncertainty and triumph and miraculous victories with just a rock. Let me tell you, I was thinking about this whole David and Goliath thing. I shouldn't be walking off to the side because this makes my sermon really long. But listen, because <laughs> it's not written. It's, it's just coming off as I'm reading it. And I thought about a rock. Most of us, if God gave us a rock and a slingshot, we wouldn't see the story developing the way it did. You're terrible, God. You made me a shepherd boy. You never trained me. You didn't send me to a good school. I hadn't been to the war fighting school. I'm just a shepherd. And when you give the shepherd, at least give the shepherd a lot. You give me a rock, God. And you give me a giant. Why? See, we always read it in retrospect, right? But think about it. God only gave him a rock. That ain't right. And then if you were an Israel, Israeli army, you're thinking, God, why did you give us this leader? A shepherd with a rock and a sling? Man, you let us down. He ain't the will of God. That ain't the will of God. A rock, sit down. You know, his brothers actually said that. When he went out there, I'm going, who is this trying to fight God's people? And David ran out there. Do you know his brothers actually said, go on back home, man. You frustrating me with all of that. I used to beat you in 21 in the front yard. Get, get away, man. <laughs> and all of that so that he could write the Psalms. the praise and prayer book of the Bible. Not build the temple, not live in the golden age of Israel, not be the greatest king that the world saw, right? The world came to Solomon. Solomon's great. Yay, praise Solomon. He's our great Christian hero and celebrity. Yay, we love Solomon. What? David, man, he got on our nerves, running here and there, always out the, out the throne, always scared, always having problems with his kids, always mess with somebody he shouldn't. Man, please. But he wrote the Psalms. Glory to God. 
the praise and prayer book of the Bible, right, which comes out of those struggles as David longed for and had a vision to build God's house, but was given to his son Solomon to do. Here's what I want us to get here, because many of us, I'm going to spend some time on this. This is the heavy part of the sermon, right? Is this will and sovereignty piece? Here's what I want us to get here, because many of you, even if you're not a believer, if you are here today, you want to know what great thing can God do and is God doing through me with all that is going on in the world? much beyond your control, all that's going on in you, especially this week. But with the, that question automatically, naturally, and this is just the way we work, comes visions and dreams of what you and I think that looks like. And we've defined our worth and value and faith on how we think God should have set things up for us to be the Christian or be the person or be the, the culture-changing person he's called us to be. We already have a vision of what that looks like. But we must let God be great and glorious and how and when and what situation and circumstance beyond our control that he is allowed. We must build what he has sovereignly given us to build, sometimes with a rock and a slingshot with the smarts of a shepherd boy, and other times with a thousand horses and chariots and a huge army like Solomon. So many of us are living in disappointment and are believing that God doesn't want or hasn't made you to do great things for his name and kingdom. You believe you've been made to be left out and a failure because you're not married or not rich, or not a man, or don't have those good networking relationships, or you don't have the smarts to do it, or the degree to get that job, or not in a high place, or your health is not good, or your relationships are shaky, or you may have a number, I got them, of historic scars on your life in some way, scar tissues of, of ways you've been mistreated or, or things you've done wrong. You just can't move the way you can move, right? That stops you from being able to do this or that. Or some of you, our mental health is just not that strong. Have you ever thought that you may never be great for God and bring him glory for him in the way you might clearly have a desire to? in the particular way you want to. Or the particular way. And here's, and here's what's hard, right? And that desire maybe have come from, you, oh, my hero did it that way, right? Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. I love hearing Tim Keller preach, y'all. That dude can preach. But not everybody gonna be like him. We're gonna be like Redeemer New York. No, you're not. You're going to the suburbs. That ain't Manhattan, y'all. Or we're going to do this. Or we're going to do it that way. Or my ministry is going to shape out this way. Or my marriage is going to shape out this way. And my kids are going to... What? You know, it's so hard in this country because some self-help book or bad theology define being great and glorious for God. Or how you were supposed to, or how you were bred to, or America says you should, or your fantasy of greatness and morality says, or how you were raised to, or how hard you worked for it. But glorious and great, nevertheless, y'all, if God is at work in your life. Maybe your limitation or inability is not about not having enough faith or some great mistake you made, or some opportunity you messed up in the past, or your ability or freedoms to do things and successes. It's not about you having more faith or having made wiser decisions or just being more tenacious. God is not a respecter of persons. He didn't let Solomon build a temple because Solomon was just smarter. 
He's not a respecter of persons. He only respects his own sovereign will. It's all about him making his name glorious and famous when and how and through who he wants. And he wants to through you. He is through you. It's amazing the things he is doing in your life, but we miss because it isn't the thing we thought. Just because you can see it and have an affection for it does not necessarily mean it's your thing. The story of Solomon planning and contracting to build God's house has many players. Do you see them? It's depressing for a while, y'all. We'll get that in a minute. Especially when I show you who's in this story. Again, I told you I want to spend some time on this because I think we're stuck sometimes in here at this point. There's, of course, Solomon, and many of us are automatically tempted to put ourselves in the place of Solomon, right? <laughs> in the story, is a wise, glorious leader. I've already brought up Solomon's deceased father, David. But then there's just not just Hiram, who, who, King Hiram, who provides the lumber as an outsider who has inside knowledge of what God was doing in Israel. I'm moving too quickly. And who comes to know about God through Israel as a non-Jew, but then there's a people who typically are just part of Solomon's glorious story. Look at the folks in verses 13 through 17. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all of Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They would be a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the draft. Solomon also had 70,000 burden bearers. People just carry rocks, y'all. And 80,000 stonecutters in the hill country, besides Solomon's 3,300 chief officers who were over the work, who had charge of the people who carried on the work. At the king's command, they quarried out great, costly stones in order to lay the, listen to that, lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. I bring these people up because they are also contracted by God's sovereign will. People who are working class or once incarcerated. Conquered folk who will always be managed and never the manager. Folks who are draftable because of their place in the kingdom. And I'm not going to, and I am not going to get into the social justice of it all right now. We'll get back into it in another sermon. It's not all good. But I, I, but I want you to see, what I want you to see is that from Solomon to deceased David to Hiram to hired hands, they are all permitted and free to give God glory, but they are not all permitted and free to commission by God's sovereign will to participate and obey and be great for God in the same way and time. Even though they are all part of the great work and plan of God, they are all doing great things for God. Whether they sent the order for the lumber to build God's great glorious house and worked out the executive details, or whether they planted the seeds that grew the trees and tended the trees that came from the seeds, and then cut the lumber that came from the well-tended trees from those planted seeds, and whether they put the lumber together to build the walls with the stones of that glorious great house from the ground, from the trees of the well-tended trees that came from the seeds, Right? I should write a children's book. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Seuss. I grew up on Dr. Seuss. But not all, not all could plant. 
and it all could tend, and it all could cut, and it all could plan, and it all could, right? But they all were great and glorious to God in what they did in making his name great and glorious and building his temple. And I am not excusing oppression. If you think I'm doing that, and it's some kind of move, you know, it's understand, y'all came over as slaves, it was God's sovereign will, that's okay, right? You helped build the foundation of God's great nation, America. I'm not going that route. I've heard that. Sorry, more than once. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not excusing oppression in classes because God will bring down the kingdom for how people are mistreated in prosperous times. He does that to this kingdom. <laughs> Solomon was too much. We'll see that later. But I am saying no man, no circumstance can stop anyone from giving God glory, even if they give God glory by being the voice of protest. And the voice of lament. Trust me, the burden bearers were crying out to God in pain. I remember we started Christ Central Church. And I looked out. Sort of in the beginning. And I was like, Giorgio, who is the pastor who planted the church with me, who's now in Winston-Salem, pastor in church there. It ain't looking as diverse as I thought it was. And we were there depressed. I remember sitting on my front porch in the Belmont neighborhood. We were just sitting there. And I was like, Giorgio, maybe we just the foundation builders for the next generation. <laughs> that had to be okay. So that we could walk in our calling to do our part with passion and not as fast and awesome as others. And it, and it seems like we will always be the church where we dream bigger than our budget. <laughs> and trust God to provide somehow and have some that have money and many who don't. It's frustrating to be like that. Where PCA churches are same size or less because of the socioeconomics have 10 passes on staff, right? That's a little extreme, I know. But what if it's about raising up interns? What if, it's about, what, if, what, what if it's about influencing the next millennial generation to do it as a church as they plant? Because we are the leaders in church of a church who's in the middle of the fight. There's no peace right now. Trust me. I'll just do a little shout out right now. Come to Thanksgiving thing on Wednesday. And we'll talk about God's glorious and great plans in the life of this church. How he's called us to fight and flourish. Maybe your greatness and glory giving and bringing is for another level or area, area or era or generation of greatness and glory. Building as a teacher or mother or father or banker or caregiver or friend or animal lover or scientist or protester or promoter or giver. But wherever God's will comes to bear on our lives, we still need God's work alone to accomplish it. Working it out for his good purposes and for the good of his people. One of the major wrinkles in this passage of Solomon building a temple for God, is the peculiar dealings he has with Hiram, a foreign king of, of the Sidonians, the king of Tyre Hiram, right? And I want you to recognize that Solomon knew that Israel did not have that kind of wood. The quality and possibly quantity of wood. Then he said, only your people know how to cut the wood right. 
In verse 1, it says that King Hiram sent some servants to Solomon, possibly to bring tribute and to say, you have peace with us because we always loved your dad. And so we boys, because of the relationship between your dad and me, if you ever need anything, man, just hit me up. And so David does. And the Bible says that Solomon justifies the ask, not as you better do this for me, but this is God's will and God's work I'm doing, that you know my dad, the one you love was promised that I would build an attempt. The Bible says that in verse 7, this is Hiram's response. Hiram, whatever his name is. I'm going to say Hiram. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon saying, I have heard the message you have sent to me. I am ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar in Cyprus. And then he makes this deal. And then in verse 12, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and two of them made a treaty. The Bible called the lumber arrangement a treaty between David and Hiram. And some commentaries make a big deal about how Solomon should not have made a treaty with a foreign king, that Hiram did not quite do it like Solomon asked, but politicked him, right? But I believe the purpose of teaching us about this treaty is not to show how bad it was, but how God used this possibly bad foreign relationship for the good of his purposes. That God took what he needed from whoever he needed, from wherever he needed it, from a not-so-good king possibly, from a not-so-good pagan country that didn't worship him or just worship him as one of the many good gods among their many gods. That God used that, that he showed and shared his glory and grace and power in such a way that the world had to give up the glory to him by giving up the goods and relationship necessary for the good of his purposes and building a house and hearing me, especially after election week, for the good of his people too. You know, think about King Hiram. He says, bless the Lord in verse 4 and 5. Your father David and I got along. I'm going to give you this wood, man. Y'all don't have to come down. He has some reasons for them. Y'all don't need to come down, but we're going to sh ship it up the river. We don't want y'all here, okay? That was a little different because David asked that he go down and get the wood and bring it up. He said no, and that's what some of the commentators like, what's going on? You know what's interesting about Hiram? He's probably thinking they need a place to keep their God. <laughs> now, hearing that to appease their God. That's how the pagan world thought. And make him content in turn. Keep their God happy with us. And then in turn, make God's people peaceful against us. We safe now because God is in a house. Good diplomacy by Hiram and even better politics. Let me appease these Israelites with all the things they need. And wow, God's going to have to sit down in a house somewhere. Hear me now, Hiram might even be thinking, if God has a house there, he will not come bothering us over here. Because other gods at the time had limitations geographically and emotionally and in power. So Hiram didn't know that to build a house for God was building a house not for a God, but for the God. To come to earth, to touch down, to take over the world. He gave to establishing the world headquarters of the takeover small G God killer. 
God came to make a house and people who would take down and infiltrate the world with his greatness and glory. They're about to move in the neighborhood and Hiram didn't mind because he saw them like good beneficial to him neighbors. Yes, but little did he know that God's neighborhood was not Israel. His neighborhood was the world. Here's the point here. God is working, y'all, and bending the world, even in elected officials and political power shifts for his good and for the good of his people. I don't care what platform any politician ran on. That platform does not sit higher than God's good plans and purposes for himself and for the good of his people. And God is taking it. And the, the people are thinking, that, I mean, all of us are thinking, yay, we're winning for ourselves, yay. And we, we got the vote we needed. We got this what we needed. I don't care whether it's Democrat or Republican. Man, everyone's got this platform, and they think they're appeasing the, the populations. But there is one person they can't appease, even though they think they are, and that is the God of heaven and earth. Like he does with Hiram and the Sidonians, he can make a non-blessed world bless his plans and his people for his greatness and glory. Don't you know that, people of God? That in your sadness, in your depression, in your joy, in your jubilation of whatever happened this week, God can take a non-blessed and non-God-following person and work them into his plans and his purposes for your Good. If the world is holding and holding out what might be necessary or good for what he's willing to do with and through you and me, the world has no choice but to give it up, to open the door, to say yes to God and move out of the way and even do what we would, we would not think good, but perfect for God's good purpose, to yes, make it the diplomatic mistake against themselves. Bless God selfishly and get hoodwinked into the perfect, permissive, sovereign will of God without even knowing it. I don't know exactly what you're facing in giving God glory in your life and world or whether you were happy or sad on Wednesday morning for God, but I know this. God has been, is, and will be working it. And working it out, working to get and give you all the necessary for his good purposes and for the good of his people so that his name can be great and glorious through you and me wherever we are and whatever he may be willing for us to build and be. Which brings me to our final point. Before I get there. Maybe his good purposes and good for his people is thriving and feeling successful. But maybe it's to fight and survive. And it's good because it's the will of God. Regardless of how he shapes this country, his good purpose is not thwarted by anything this world could ever bring. So if you're put in a position to fight and survive, God is working it out for his good, and I don't know how all the time. Lament, 
pray, cry out to God, give him glory like the Psalms did. Do you see what Solomon built on and took confidence in? And I miss it the first time through. Solomon built on the work and promise not given and secured by him, but from God through his father. He had confidence to walk in the wide open will and powerful work of God in his life, even asking Hiram for help to step up. Why? The Bible tells us. I read through these scriptures, but I don't have a lot of time. Because of Hiram's love for David and God's blessing Solomon through David's victory through David's winning of the relationships of peace so that Solomon could execute. Do you know why then Solomon was free and prosperous to do and build great and glorious for God in building a temple? Because his father died fighting and bringing the peace necessary to make it so. Solomon was able to do greater things than his father because father before him, David, suffered the greatest and earned the permission and permits for him to be and do great and glorious for God. Some of you already know where we're going with this. Apart from what Jesus did, people like you and me could not and would not do and be what makes God's great, God great and glorious in the world. Apart from what Jesus did, God could not be intimate and, and imminent and great and glorious among us because we were in a losing battle with the world and Satan around us and sin within us, fighting our own battles, trying to make sense of our world and our own and, and, and losing in our strength. We were not at peace or free to have God come and do great and glorious things. But hear the good news from this passage. Like Solomon's father, David, Jesus on the cross did not have peace. He was hated on. The Bible even calls him the chief cornerstone because like the laborers in this passage, he was the bearer of the heaviest stone. He was hated on for our sin and our war with God. In his suffering, his enemies and our enemies trampled him underfoot. And the world, were, the world was declared wise for calling Jesus a fool. But when he went through that and rose on the third day, like a condemned, torn down temple being raised back up, you and I, like King Solomon, by grace, now have peace with God, victory over sins in the world and Satan. And given the word and the spirit, you who are in Christ, like Solomon and Israel with him, are free and wise to be and build something great and glorious for God in this age and now because the gates of even hell cannot and will not prevail against the will and work of God and his people who have been made great and glorious through the sufferings and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, all permits have been pulled. So sinners can be freed to be like Solomon even, a royal priesthood that even in Jesus' own words, to do even greater than he did as a church and people of God, to walk in righteousness and the footsteps of Christ as contractors of God's glory and grace in this age, in this world, in this body, at this time right now, as God wills, as God has made a way, and because God has sent his, Je his son, Jesus Christ, and now all enemies are under his feet. And the world is wide open. 
to God's grace and glory for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have conquered. As the song says, ride on, King Jesus. No man can hinder you. What you have willed by your word and by your sovereign will. And Lord, what you are working out, you are shaping it and forming this world sovereignly to your will. Help us in seeing that. Worship with joy. But also, Lord, for some of us, let us see that and properly lament, properly protest, properly praise you, properly pray. Your name going to be great and glorious. And the world can't stop it. We thank you for the way you've used the people here at Christ Central for your glory. Lord, I pray because I know there's many broken stories here. Many hurt people. Many setbacks. Many who had a vision for their lives. Many sitting at home during the week saying, what is God doing in my life? Help them, Lord. To see the permission you have given. Open their eyes to see your sovereign will for their lives in particular and peculiar reasons, ways. I pray for this church. Oh, our place, Lord, as Christ Central Church. Is to make your name great and glorious. Even if in the world's eyes we are not great. And deserving of the world's kind of glory. Use your people miraculous ways. But most importantly, Lord, let this people, this place, this ministry, their lives be a temple, a holy temple for you. Dwell, Lord, with much greatness, much glory, and thanks be to Christ, much grace. Thank you, Lord, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.